a million battery packs sold into electric vehicles by the end of the decade. And if you're selling these, you know, at a, at a price point of $10,000 a battery, even below that, you could be a, a company that's doing $10 billion a year. You throw together something like a, a six or seven PS multiple lower than an automaker like a Tesla deserves because you're selling components rather than to the end user. But even just rough math back of the envelope like that, that, James, you could be looking at a $60, $70 billion company objectively versus $4 billion today. Welcome to The Early Advantage, where I try to find investing topics that aren't getting enough love, and then I give them some love. I unpack them and I share them with you. And this week, we're going to talk about EVs and semiconductors. These are two sectors that have been whacked hard in the market this year. They were arguably pretty high before. But are there babies in the bathwater? Should you invest? Joining me this week is Simon Erickson. Simon is the founder of 7investing.com. That's numeral 7investing.com. And he happens to be an expert on EV and on semiconductor shares. So take a look and see what you think. And stay tuned at the end for Brian Christopher's Screen of the Week as usual. Am I hot or not? That was the title of a famous website maybe you know, 10, 12 years ago. And I'm pretty sure I didn't use it. But basically, people would put a picture of themselves up and, and people would vote, yes, you're hot or no, you're not. And if you're the EV sector right now, electric vehicles, if you're the semiconductor sector, you may be having some of those same feelings. Over the past you know, five years, these sectors have gone up, have added a lot of value, have birthed a lot of good winners. But over the past year or so, the tune has been quite different. Of course, a lot of things are down over the past year. But, but should you be getting into these sectors? Like They have the auspices, have the makings of huge long-term potential, megatrends, if you will, but they've also had a lot of risk lately. And I may not know the answers to this, but joining me, joining me to help unpack this question is Mr. Simon Erickson. Simon is CEO and founder of the investing research business, Seven Investing. Seven, numeral seven, investing.com is a website. Uh, in full disclosure, Simon is also a long-term buddy of mine. Uh, we used to work together at The Motley Fool. So I've known Simon for for a decade, more than a decade, something like that now, a long, long time. Um, anyway, with that preamble aside, Simon Erickson, welcome. Uh, James, it's so nice to be here chatting with you again. I think it's been, like you said, at least a decade, maybe even more than that, that we've been chatting. Always a pleasure to be on your show. All right. And I'm sure I'm sure the audience will will enjoy you as well. So or enjoy your opinions. I mean, we enjoy you too. Um, but let, let's get to those. So you you mentioned being especially familiar with, with EV and, and semiconductors, or at least doing some research on them lately. Uh, electric vehicles are something that is seeing huge demand. I think 6% now of cars sold in the United States are EVs, which is a big number. And in China, EVs are, are very popular. Their, their format is a little bit different. And, and sometimes the, the smaller EVs are, are, are popular, but that just makes sense. That fits the market. So EV writ large is a big thing. I don't think we have to persuade anyone on that. I think everybody knows that's a big trend. But how do you see the space overall? Like, is it, is it appreciated right now? Is it a little bit underappreciated? Or is it still a little bit overappreciated? Yeah, well, James, the EV picture that I put up on hotornot.com is pretty sexy. I probably got like a 10 out of 10 right now. There's a lot of interest in electric vehicles. Like you mentioned, you know, it kind of varies uh, based on the country, but globally about 10% uh, market share of the total auto industry. You know, if we want to call the entire auto industry 70 million units sold back in 2021, call about 7 million of those electric vehicles. Still, that you know, big. Just, that is big. Yeah. Just breaking in, right? Just a 10%. And, um, 
you know, when you think about this in terms of dollar uh, terms, that's maybe let's call it this year, $380 billion for electric vehicles. That's a sizable market. That's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but then you consider the larger auto market is around a $4 trillion auto market. So this is these are big numbers. There's lots of zeros in there. Uh, but the thing that's important for me as a growth style investor like I am is that you can't just further incrementally optimize this supply chain that we built out with the auto industry today. This is not a variation with better gas mileage of an internal combustion engine. This is a completely different supply chain for completely different components that go into electric vehicles. That's why it's kind of exciting for me. You know, there's a lot of picks and shovel players in this that are figuring this market out and competing against it in a completely different way than how we've uh, we've built the automotive for the last century or so. So you know, to just go buy Tesla with picks and shovels, you can buy one of the input parts, probably something less sexy, but maybe less volatile at the same time. Yeah, I mean, Tesla has done fantastic for this, right? If you were Ford or GM, you probably, I mean, you had programs, you had to pay attention to this. We didn't have Elon Musk that was just ready to go out there and disrupt your existing cash cow, right? You wanted to incrementally improve things. You want to sell more F-150s every year. You didn't necessarily love the idea of cannibalizing your own business, but Elon does. And Elon really uh, made a, a, put a, a huge foot in the, in the, in the stand here and, and said, you know, we're going to go all in. We're going to build gigafactories. We're going all in on lithium ion chemistry. One of the interesting things that, that I've been looking at, James, is, uh, is whether lithium ion batteries are the most efficient way of mm -hmm. providing the power to electric vehicles. Uh, a lot of people, including Tesla's former CTO, J.B. Straubel, says lithium metal with a solid state battery is a better approach. It is a more efficient way to deliver uh, power. It's got better energy density. It's going to have a longer range. You know, all these things that we've kind of worried. It's not going to catch fire like, you know, a lot of uh, was in the news and the headlines. But there's, there's a company called QuantumScape out there right now that is an R&D project building lithium metal. It's got some really big backers. Uh, not only Jabo Straubel is on the board. It had John Doerr, the famous venture capitalist mm -hmm. on board. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates was supporting of, of this. It is something that is trying to scale up an entirely new battery chemistry. And of course, that's the most important component of a, of a battery-powered electric vehicle. And you mentioned an exciting, you know, sexy, hot technology, and you mentioned some hot names. Is the valuation of this of this company, or really some of the others, do you think it's it's fair at this point? I mean, obviously the the industry is is hot. Uh, I buy that, but but what about the pricing? It is inefficiently priced, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know right now, since it's so early, and you know, where there's going to be so many uncertainties in the next couple of years here. I don't know if it's overpriced or if it's underpriced, but it's inefficiently priced. Um, right now, you, you know, we're, we're looking at QuantumScape around a $4 billion market cap, and there's zero revenue today. But it's got six of the 10 largest OEMs in the United States, at least, in partnerships. That means they're trying to ramp up the production of these. It's not just going out and saying, hey, we've got something that might work. There are actually specifications tied to programs with the largest automakers in the US. And so if these work, and Deloitte's forecast of having 30 million EVs on the roads by 2030 uh, is, is even directionally correct. I think it's actually probably going to be even higher than that. Uh, you could see a company like QuantumScape gaining a million, a million auto, uh, a mil excuse me, a million battery packs sold into electric vehicles by the end of the decade. And if you're selling these, you know, at a, at a price point of $10,000 a battery, even below that, you could be a, a company that's doing $10 billion a year. You throw together something like a, a six or seven PS multiple lower than an automaker like a Tesla deserves because you're selling components rather than to the end user. But even just rough math back of the envelope like that, that, James, you could be looking at a $60, $70 billion company 
objectively versus $4 billion today. On the other so hand- Well over a 10-bagger, basically. Which is, that's a 10 out of 10 on hot or not, right? That's the sexy bull case. But on the <laughs> other hand, let's say that these don't work out. Say that lithium, lithium ions still reign supreme and the automakers don't want to switch chemistries and start from scratch with lithium metal. Uh, there's there's also a bear case that this is worth nothing if none of these programs go anywhere. It's still pre-revenue today. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, you know, in investing, we all know nothing ventured, nothing gained. If everything were a sure thing, if everyone were, everything was a clear opportunity, there wouldn't be any chance to make those big returns, you know? So they exist because of the ambiguity, you know, because of that uncertainty. So obviously, whoever's considering investing needs to kind of weigh that calculus for, for himself or herself and decide if it's if it's worth that risk. But but it's inspiring to, to see that, that you see that opportunity. And I think, you know, while it's hard to put a precise valuation number on something like this, I mean, nobody knows the real probabilities. In in big brushstrokes, it sounds like the the upside is huge if this becomes the the adopted technology. There is, you know, and again, it kind of gets back to what we were just mentioning. You know, you got a completely different supply chain with completely different components. The battery is kind of the most um, well known, you know, the most popular, the one that people will recognize the most. There's other components too, you know. One of the other things, James, that I'm looking at is traction inverters right now. This is something that Elon figured out years ago. He actually incorporated them into Tesla vehicles. But the other programs, the GMs of the world, the Fords of the world, who are doing EVs now too, have not yet. Uh, these components are made out of, a, these are chips. These are chips that deliver the power that is provided in direct current from the battery to the, to the motor and then to the rest of the vehicle. So the efficiency of an electric vehicle, if you want to think about it that way. Um, there, are, there are companies that are now using completely different materials for the production of those chips. Uh, for the techies out here are watching this show, this is a wide band gap material. It can actually deliver the flow of electrons more efficiently and with less resistance when you're at higher temperatures. Pardon me as I nerd out for a moment there, James, but it means the efficiency goes up if you're using silicon carbide instead of silicon. And there are companies out there like Wolfspeed and OnSemi, popular companies right now who are devoting billions of dollars for the materials, production of those wafer materials to, to start from the ground up. Pretty exciting time, if you ask me. And again, that's an S-curve that's just getting started today. And these picks and shovel uh, plays are uh, robust in the sense that whether it's Tesla, whether it's Ford, whether it's General Motors, whether it's whoever um, that, that, that you know, ultimately you know, gains material market share in EVs, there's a good chance, uh, I'm guessing, that they will be using some of these chips from some of these makers. Uh, I'm I'm assuming so. That's that's the robustness. It's not. I mean, these are not really branded things so much. I mean, they're, they're inputs that the the ultimate package uses, and that's the beauty of the picks. And by the way, if someone's new to investing or new to terminology, it says picks and shovels. What is that? Uh, in in the American gold rush in the mid 1800s, the the joke or the lore is that not a lot of people actually made money chasing gold because so many people were doing it, and it was just more miners than gold. But the money was to be made in companies that sold the picks and the shovels to the gold miners. And, and this is the analogy uh, we're using in investing today. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like the, one of the recent examples we saw was Apple, right? If you were a component provider, you were making the radios, you know, you were making the components that go into iPhones, things like that. You didn't want to go out there and develop the market. Let Steve Jobs, let the innovator go out and do that and get everybody excited about smartphones. Work on your own perfecting the manufacturing so you can ride the, the, the coattails of the innovators of the world. I mean, the same thing is going on with EVs today. Thank you, Elon, Absolutely. for 
making this yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got his issues, but but he's a, a genius in, in in many respects, and 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 deserves credit for that. Um, Last question on EVs. Is there a limit? I mean, we mentioned supply chains um, in you know, different ways of skinning a cat, but if everybody w- who, who wants an EV tried to buy one, I mean, I don't think it could happen, right? Um, isn't there a natural constraint? Are, are we, are we going to run into a capacity issue greater than whatever we have now that, that puts kind of a ceiling on EV growth? Uh, that's a very good question. It's it's kind of a political question too, right? Like one of one factor of this has been what is the incentives that have been given to the people that are making not only the batteries and the components, but you know are scaling up the manufacturing, like Elon with the Tesla plants. Um, there's also you know wh- what kind of subsidies do you want to give either directly as a rebate for the purchase uh, versus you know kind of a, a tax credit that you get. We certainly have seen those in the U.S. You know, seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. That you get um, the UK is winding theirs down. China is keeping theirs in place. There's different uh, levers you can pull to juice the adoption of the market out these. And and, and for you, the, the question that you just asked, you know, is there a supply constraint on this? Absolutely, there is right now. Uh, this is something that will have to get figured out. And there's a lot of dedicated companies on multiple continents working on it right now. Yeah, you put enough money into something, and people start to figure things out. I've I've noticed that about the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I read something that we can mine a moderate amount of this, you know, these rare earths uh, acceptably well. But if we tried to accelerate it too quickly, it would just be like massively destructive to the environment, which would kind of like negate a lot of the purpose of of going EV in the first place. So I'm sure we'll find that that happy medium, and and with enough innovation, with enough money, better mining technologies, uh, you know, better ways to do it. Um, and, and certainly doing some more of that in the U.S. and in developed countries, I think, that have higher environmental standards is, is probably going to, to uh, lessen the, the damage writ large. Um, but anyway, speaking of, of hot or not, the, the, the other hot, uh, not so hot, maybe getting slightly hotter again sector we, we mentioned is semiconductors. Semiconductors are, you know, they're, they're interesting. They're, they're in everything now. Uh, more, I think they're in everything. They're probably even in more things that I think they're in. Uh, they're, they're prone to big cycles because ramping up production, uh, developing these things is just, is one of those expensive things to do on earth, uh, starting a semiconductor company. And, and there's political sensitivity now with, with China making threats veiled or otherwise about, uh, invading Taiwan, in which case maybe Taiwan semiconductor blows up its factories. Like nobody knows for sure, but I think they make like 90% of the world's high-end chips. So it's this, it's this big, intriguing thing. It's almost like the new oil or the new water. Uh, how would you, in, in, in broad brushstrokes, describe the opportunity or, or not in semiconductors? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, there is political sensitivity, no doubt about it in this, right? And chips, we know chips go into everything, right? We always talk about chips are fun and they go into refrigerators and toasters and all this stuff, but they also go into weapons, military weapons, they also go into satellites. I mean, politically sensitive stuff. And the whole world is kind of a little dicey on how they feel about 80% of the world's semiconductors being made in either Taiwan, which has sensitivities with China, of course, or in South Korea which is, of course, neighbor is North Korea. Uh, and, and so we're all trying to figure out, you know, how do we want to approach this where you've got a security of supply, right? You've got to put this into the fighter jets and the chips are going to, you know, the most sensitive things that America needs uh, and wants, even for commercial businesses. Uh, well, at the same time, it's really hard to, to balance out the equation of, you know, this can't just be whoever has the highest price points or is the highest bidder is going to get that supply. And there's various ways around that. Um, 
one of the most important companies in the world right now is a Dutch company called ASML. They are the providers of the lithography machines, which play a key component in the manufacture of high-performance semiconductor chips. And because they've got some components, their, their machines are super expensive, James, $150 million per mm. extreme ultraviolet light lithography machine, right? And the new wave they're going to come out with that are just developing now are going to hit the um, hit the market next year, $350 million. And these things take half a year to build, right? They're extremely, extremely complex. And they've got American patents in the components that go into them. And America said, you cannot sell these ASML to China. So China right now is stuck using deep ultraviolet uh, lithography rather than extreme ultraviolet lithography. And that sounds, again, kind of techy, kind of dorky. But the point is, if you want the highest performance chips that are going into Apple smartphones and a whole bunch of other things, you're not buying them from Chinese manufacturers. You have to buy them from Samsung or Taiwan Semiconductor. Extremely geopolitical industry, extremely big industry, $600 billion in total sales of chips last year. Wow. I bet when you were in, in high school, Simon, you'd have no idea you'd be talking about uh, detailed nuances of, of semiconductors at, at this point in your life. But but yet here you are. It's not hot or not dot com back then. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which wouldn't be possible without semiconductors for that matter. That's right. Um, that's right. $350 million. That's it's quite a, it's about as expensive a thing as, as it gets, basically. If you want to talk about things, um, pretty pretty amazing. There's a whole ecosystem. Though, of semiconductors, not just geographically, but you know, there's a pipeline and there's a pecking order of chips, and you know, most of the chips that are in existence are like in, a, in somebody's calculator or you know, in a car. They're they're fairly basic. They're, they're not the super high end, and then you know, there are those very high end, uh, very fast processing chips. Um, do you have an opinion? And, and if you don't, that's okay. Do you have an opinion on where in that spectrum you you like a little bit more, and maybe where in that spectrum you like a little bit less right now? Yeah, in terms of sectors of that giant market, you know, where are the pockets that you, you would want to invest in, right? Yeah. There's a, there's kind of um, three buckets, if you will, of, of the, of the semi-space, right? There, who's, using the, the, who's using them at the end of the day? Who's designing them? And then who's manufacturing them? The, uh, the who's using them, most attractive segment of that market around is the big tech companies, right? A Amazon wants its own chips to uh, decipher what you, when you're talking to A-L-E-X-A, the name I will not mention because it's going to set someone. It's going to pop up if you mention it. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. But you know, when you when you're speaking to your smart speaker, you know, how does it figure out what you're what you're asking for? What's the answer it's giving? Uh, Amazon Web Services, you know, what, what's doing the inference for all of the all the algorithms and all the calculations it's using behind the scenes? It needs to design its own chips, and Amazon is the end user of that. And so, who does it go to to design its own chip? You've got another bucket now of you know who are the companies that are that know how to even make a chip like that for them. Uh, I believe that the company that Amazon worked with was actually called AI Chip. If I'm not mistaken, I might have to double check on, but they worked with kind of a custom designer for it. Uh, this is the Broadcoms. This is the Qualcomms of the world, the, you know, the NVIDIAs, the AMDs of the world. How can you customize a chip or produce a good enough for the mass market chip that's going to do what you want it to do? And the third bucket is who's going to actually make the chips? You know, who can get the cost for this as low as possible, but it's perfect every time. You don't have any defects or, or recalls. And that third bucket, there's really only um, three companies in the whole world that can compete economically at scale for producing the world's chips. Taiwan Semiconductor, Samsung, question mark, and the third one being Intel. Uh, but, you know, there, there's opportunities for each one of those. There's different margin profiles for each of them, but competitive advantages are huge and economies of scale are, are extremely important. And it sounds like you're, you're, you know, bullish 
overall in that sector? I mean, obviously the, the fabrication is the one with the highest barriers to entry just because it's it's so expensive and, and governments are, are are now putting more money into this, the US and, and China. It's kind of like a little arms race now, uh, but that's that's mostly, I mean, China's got a lot of these startups and almost certainly most are going to fail and there's been a lot of corruption. Uh, we'll see where it leads at the end of the day, but I think in the West, that money is going to either go into Intel or into uh, you know U.S. branches of uh, foreign-owned uh, you know like a, a Taiwan Semiconductor operating in the U.S. Uh, yeah. just in in the years ahead as this money flows in. So it's 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 not going to a whole slew of companies. Is my point? It's going to a small number of companies that have proven expertise because they don't want to waste the money. And so that's that's it wouldn't seem like a bad thing for for investors who own these stocks at a minimum. <laughs> It's security. It's domestic supply is security is the most important word, right? And and you nailed it with with Intel, uh, kind of being interesting right now because Intel's legacy, right? They've got a lot of kind of maybe we can call it outdated products that are dragging down margins. Uh, they haven't they haven't won in the data center. They've conceded share to competitors like Nvidia and AMD there. But Intel has you know it brought back Pat, Pat Gelsinger's back. He worked with Gordon Moore who founded Intel and was Moore's law was named after. I mean, he's, you've got a, a good engineering based leader that understands what they need to do. And now it's just kind of, you know, who's got quarters in the couch cushions that can fund the, uh, the, the, the $30 billion that it costs to build a new fab. Uh, Intel can't just go out and spend that all by itself without committed orders. And for committed orders, it's going to have to convince either us politicians or companies uh, that are named after fruits that are selling billions of electronic devices every single year uh, to give them uh, supply commitments. And so it's kind of a catch-22. There's a lot of opportunity, but it's it's a kind of a, a, a tough one to just break into. It's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. And Intel, I mean, just without getting in too deep into the backstory, they, they were great and they, they, they kind of dropped the ball, or at least arguably dropped the ball. And now they're trying to pick back up the ball again. And, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. And probably they will at some point. But anyway, that's that's probably the, the the speculation an investor would make if they were to buy Intel that things will get better. Um, any any final or parting thoughts on semiconductors before we wrap everything up? Yeah, just kind of you know it's an interesting space. We talk about the chip shortage all the time. That's making the headlines. There's, everyone always talks about a chip shortage. It's interesting to see why there is a chip shortage. Get into the COVID lockdowns in China, uh, which are providing cheaper you know lower margin chips. And then the ones that are being produced at the uh, the highest performance fabs, Taiwan Semis and, and Samsung, they're, they're booked. They're, they are not impacted at all by this downturn because they've got supply commitments for the like, next year to 18 months. Uh, but again, how do you get a stake? How do you get one of those production lines dedicated to you? Um, it's, it's a balancing act that's evolving with geopolitical risks, with technology risks, uh, with a whole bunch of other risks. But there's a lot of money in this industry, James, and there's only a couple of players that can do it profitably. Well, you 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 awakened me or excited me, and I want to go take a look. Um, it is indeed a hot sector. Um, Simon Erickson, founder, CEO, I'll add head honcho of SevenInvesting.com. Uh, definitely hot as far as opinions go. Um, we're just you know platonic friends. I'll, I'll say that, but but definitely good opinions. Uh, Simon, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you very much for for taking the time to speak with us, and thanks to you guys as always for watching at home. Hi there, I'm Brian Christopher. I'm the editor of Follow the Money at South Bank Research. And in these videos, we seek stock ideas that will make sense to own at some point. We call them wish lists. Today's market is weak. 
It isn't one that we need to rush into. But let's say we had to buy some stocks today. What ideas would make the most sense? I suggest those that are generating a lot of cash and are growing. Let's see what the system offered. I created a Bloomberg screen that searched for UK and North American stocks that met certain strict metrics, namely positive free cash flow, sales growth, and profitability. Free cash flow is a company's cash flow from operations minus its capital expenditures, basically cash left after normal activities minus its growth investments. Finding a stock that generates more free cash flow than its current market cap is the toughest metric in my opinion. In this image, that's the line item, current price to free cash flow less than one. Price to free cash flow is a company's market cap divided by free cash flow. The average price to free cash flow of the S&P 500 in the second quarter was about 19. The footsies was lower, i.e. this index of British stocks generates more cash than its U.S. peers. It was lower, but still nowhere close to the one that we screened for. You don't see many names with a price-to-earnings ratio less than one, and you don't see many companies with a price-to-free cash flow uh, that low either. These names are unique. Companies that can generate this kind of cash should insulate us in a volatile market like this one. Let's look at two names. These are not ideas you see every day, but that's the beauty of wish lists. You can search for the metrics that are important to you. Then you can see if you want to learn more about the results and decide if the results could be profitable for you. Enquest PLC, ticker ENQ in London, is an oil and gas producer with operations in the North Sea and Malaysia. It's up over the past year and year to date, but it hasn't been up in a straight line. The stock price is volatile. While oil prices have pulled back a bit recently, they're still above average, and the UK and Europe need this stuff. Enquest generated $745 million of free cash flow in the year ended June. Its current market cap is $535 million. The company is also focused on decarbonization. It will use carbon capture and storage technology, for example. The company's studies show one of its existing pipeline systems and storage sites can store up to 10 million metric tons of CO2 per year. Per the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S., this is equivalent to greenhouse gas emissions from 2.15 million gas-powered vehicles driven for one year. Of course, there are risks. Not everyone likes energy names. And Enquest has some debt. Barclays, Barclays has the stock at underweight because of that debt. That said, Enquest generated strong free cash flow for the first half of the year and used it to pay down debt. Its net debt, which is debt minus cash, is now at a nine-year low. And now it, it will address its debt maturities for the second half of next year. In addition, the UK implemented a 25% energy profit levy windfall tax. The country really needs energy, so it penalizes the companies that provide it. That will be an earnings headwind too, but 
I like the cash generation abilities here. Most of NQuest's expenses are in the struggling pound, while its sales are in dollars. Don't discount the benefits of that currency mismatch. Our other name is Petra Diamonds, ticker PDL in London. Its shares have been stronger than most. Petra produces diamonds at three mines in South Africa and one in Tanzania. It generated almost $229 million of free cash flow in the year ended June, while its U.S. dollar market cap is only $222 million. It has $288 million of cash and cash equivalents. Like any commodity name, Petra is a price taker. And while you may not think of diamonds as a regular old commodity, supply and demand still dictate price here. But while many commodity prices have been struggling lately, diamond prices have been steady to stronger. These prices here are from the diamond search engine. I present them to you to give you an idea of pricing. To be clear though, this site tracks monthly retail diamond prices. Petra sells gem quality rough diamonds. And part of Petra's strategy is to focus on value rather than volume. It optimizes recoveries to maximize efficiency and profitability. I'm going to wrap this up here. These two investments aren't perfect, none are, but they are good at generating cash. Should they continue to do so, they are set up well to face this difficult economic environment. I haven't done a complete analysis, so this isn't a formal recommendation, but Petra seems like it's in a good place today. NQuest looks solid too, but it's possible that the production of energy is now considered worse than the production of diamonds. Luckily for the NQuest thesis, the UK and the continent need energy. Thank you for watching.